Hello again, what the fuck is up? Welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp. As always, I am joined by Will Murden. How is it going tonight, Will? You are coming in hot this evening, aren't you, my friend? I am, I am. I'm just, you know, I'm in a good place. The Canes had a big win. Um, there were some crazy games going on. I just want to punch through this thing and get it done. And uh, not, not for the wrong reasons, just for the right reasons. I want to keep the intensity high. Keep those legs turning. Absolutely. No, I'm with you. I'll try and keep up. I'm certainly not riding that high of emotion that you are with my Cowboys getting done by an average TCU unit. So I don't have that, but I'll whoa, feed off whoa, of you tonight. Whoa. Max Duggan is a don't, spectacularly don't. underachiever at the quarterback position. I think you should put some respect on that name as I you... Won't. I've, as you I've, I've show more intent in the cricket and than what you do in this podcast. All right. Yeah, you're going to see my uh, eyes darting off screen a fair bit through this one, I reckon. All right, I'm sweating bullets here tonight. I don't know why. It's not even that hot. It's actually cooling off. Uh, but not in the case of college football, though. This was a week where I kind of expected things to not be particularly entertaining. I thought we would be taking chalk again and the lack of real marquee marky marky uh, matchups was going to leave us wanting a little bit more but there was enough tasty morsels dropped sporadically throughout the weekend which of course continues tomorrow with usc washington state uh, but either way there was enough to really really enjoy and really like about this particular weekend yeah what was disappointing at this point in of the year you want teams going head-to-head kind of playing themselves into a championship game and what I think we found across the majority of it was it was teams playing other teams all they had to do was win or they were like there there were no real matchups to play yourself in it was just beating teams that you probably should have worked like we're going to beat anyways to secure a spot rather than two teams going head-to-head only one's going to get that coveted spot we just didn't see a lot of that with how it's all kind of played out this year yeah, and, and that hasn't exactly been a, a thing we've seen a lot of recently anyway, especially with Rivalry Weekend last weekend, which was a, a, a bastardized version of that particular weekend. But not only that, uh, you know, Alabama undefeated, Notre Dame undefeated, they're already in. Clemson, you know, they've always been a real high achiever. Probably the only interest really has been around the the Big 12, which really failed to deliver in terms of that absolute chaos game this weekend. But let's get into it rather than discuss this ad hoc. Let's get into our 360. The Big 12 championship game, speaking of championship games, is decided. Oklahoma State fall to TCU. Iowa State win, Oklahoma win. So there is your championship matchup. It's going to be a good one too, so we'll get a replay of earlier in the year where Iowa State obviously got over the top of them. The different Oklahoma team that we're going to see come head-to-head, and it's going to be a great matchup. Both of these teams are looking quite good at the moment, so that is one that looked like it wasn't going to be at one stage early on in the piece. A lot of carnage early, and it looked like the Big 12 was a complete car wreck. At least now, it feels like we've got two competent teams playing out for that championship. If we jump out of the Power 5 for a second, Liberty had to cancel. Coastal Carolina had an open date as a result, and BYU is sitting there on their couch at home going, we'll take you. 
So on Thursday, the athletic directors got together, said, yep, we'll fly from Provo over to the beach, Myrtle Beach in Carolina. They did that. And BYU get upset by the Chanticleers. Yeah, awesome match this one. Really loved it. I was dialed into it. It was my game of the weekend. I love that this was able to happen. In this day and age, we've both spoken about it at great length, how difficult it is with all these moving parts to make something like this happen and how it felt like it was almost a fantasy thing that it could happen. And then woke up Friday morning for the news that, yeah, Liberty's out, BYU's jumping on a plane, they're making it happen. Credit to both programs for making this uh, work, and then it being an absolute ripper of a game. So it's it disappointing that they didn't get like the game day and the game day crew there still for it. You can't understand it, but lo- love the matchup and the chance go on to 10-0. and Clemson punched their ticket for a rematch against Notre Dame in the ACC Championship game. I like their chances. You're slanting more Notre Dame, Will. Uh, Not necessarily slanting more Notre Dame, but I think it could be a close one. Notre Dame deserve that respect. They've been very good all year. Clemson, with Trevor Lawrence back, will be a different unit. He is that good. But that's another cracking game. Like That one is something that you really don't want to miss because these two teams are right in the conversation and potentially, depending on how the result goes, could both still progress into the playoff. The Pac-12 had the pick of the games this week as well, but two ranked teams that played lost. Washington going down to Stanford and Oregon losing to Cal. Really disappointing for the Pac-12 again. Yeah, oh, you're not wrong. So they have completely kind of cannibalized themselves, like we saw with a lot of the other conferences earlier on, but they had enough meat in their schedule to kind of even things out, and they had the top teams propping them up by not losing, except the Big 12, I suppose. Where now, the it's just a complete mess there. You've still got USC, you've got Colorado as undefeateds in you the Pac-12. get around there. the buffs. So that's exciting for those programs, but... Now that we're in week 14, there's not much left to go and it all just seems a bit crazy. I was going to talk about the Big Ten, but we'll save that for game recaps as we have chewed through 360. So if you have missed college football this weekend, you've heard it all here. That is all the headlines. That is all the news. You can die knowing that you know everything about week 14 of college football. That you need to know. That you need to know. And maybe, you know, don't die or try not to, obviously. But if you need to, well, there you go. You've heard it here. All right. uh, We will jump into some news right now. We've already mentioned the Liberty cancellation. That happened as soon as we hit stop on the record button. And it's nice to know that we'll actually can hit the start and stop button on the record because that's been an issue in prior weeks. Shane Beamer, the son of Frank Beamer, the famous and long-lasting Virginia Tech head coach. Uh, His son is expected to be named the head coach at South Carolina per Brett McMurphy, I believe. Um, But yeah, your thoughts on that decision? He's worked um, at that school previously and currently working at Oklahoma at the moment. Yeah, so I've read he was born in Charleston, South Carolina. He's the running backs and tight ends coach at Oklahoma. So this is very much a move to get the, the guy from Lincoln Riley, who's one of the hottest names. Obviously, he's right up there in the coaching world. So pilfering from his assistants is a commonly played out tactic that we've seen here. That's what they've gone. He is 
obviously has that coaching pedigree with his old man being around Virginia Tech for all those years. He's served 20 years as an assistant coach, hasn't had that head coach resume, so it's going to be a big step up and it'll be interesting to see how he fits into a difficult spot there in the SEC. Now I'm fading this out straight away because I know that this is going to take some time. The Knight Commission, as they are known, now these are a whole bunch of I don't know, old men, I assume, old white dudes in suits making, kind of coming to decisions and thoughts and feelings about what is good for college football. Wicket, Will? Yeah, yeah, we've just taken another wicket there, so uh, I'm just trying to catch up with it there, but uh, it looks like Steve Smith caught one out at uh, deep mid-off, so happy days, taking us to uh, three, got them three for now. Yay. How interesting it is to talk unspecific India versus Australia uh, 2020 cricket. Uh, yeah, the Knight Commission is a group of people that discuss and make this, not make decisions, they make recommendations for the future, the direction, um, the critical strategy for college football. And they have come out and said that they believe it is time for college football and the NCAA to discontinue their relationship and for college football to find something else. Now, this is clearly the voice of a group of people that believe, and rightly so, that college football has moved beyond the NCAA and collegiate athletics. It is far more professional than that. There is far more uh, money involved in these processes, whether it's coaches, players, uh, whatever, the professionalism within the sport is starting to uh, really put pressure on the NCAA and their resources. So this would be around uh, coming up with something else, some other governing body to ensure that players, coaches, schools are getting what they need out of this particular competition and ensuring that that's not left with the NCAA, who at this stage really are almost solely responsible for eligibility. And that is almost it because the college football playoff there, I don't think they actually have anything to do with that as such. Um, But yeah, that's what this commission is for. Now, the NCAA is in no way obligated to act on this recommendation, nor are schools or colleges either um, but this is just a group of mums and dads sitting around together um, you know throwing stuff at a wall but this is well thought out it's well articulated and certainly something that I predicted in my bold prediction earlier in the year so I think it could happen yeah look it's certainly gaining momentum as you mentioned there's a lot of credibility to the arguments that they're putting forward there so it's certainly going to be looked at and considered and something's going to change what that means I'm not sure but I can't see a world where we don't move forward without some form of significant shift in how the game is governed who the governing bodies are how some of this is is worked it's just it feels like it is very much outgrown the NCAA as you mentioned and that something has to change to keep it up whether it stays in there and and oversights placed and different powers. I, I don't know what it is yet, but this is certainly one of the first dominoes to fall in seeing that change actually come to reality. Yeah, and there's also a whole bunch of other stuff around um, players being, uh, I guess, financially supported or receiving reimbursement for the use of their likeness. Um, and and that 
those conversations continue and that would be just be a small part of this decision making process but that is something to certainly keep an eye on and i think it's almost not an if but when situation now that when could be in five or six years time but i think it is inevitably going to happen i don't know how i feel about it i mean you you've always been quite staunch and and quite strong on the fact that you believe we should head in this direction move away from the ncaa move away from you know your granddad's school where you you know the whole family went to college and you got a degree but you also played sport um it's gone far beyond that and you've always been a believer in in something more professional than that yeah like i like a lot of the traditions and the the way that college football is now i like a lot of structure about it it is kind of the the money involved now that just makes it so crazy and there's this seedy underworld where all of this stuff is kind of occurring and everyone knows about it but it's just not a a healthy environment for Mm. what we're seeing to have this known dodgy kind of atmosphere There, there, there needs to be more structure around bringing that forward and getting a bit more transparency and getting that out in the light so if if there's something that can be done to put more structure in that place i think it's going to be beneficial for for the sport in general but there's just a lot of variables and a lot to cover off on there that i don't think either of us have kind of got the um our heads completely around yeah exactly and so so there'll be more to come out here but it sounds like a microcosm of political structure in general really there's some seediness there's some shadiness and we're all made to believe that it's all going okay. All right, uh, let's get into some game recaps. So we're going to jump straight in. Most Will's most impressive performance. Let's head to the aforementioned BYU and Coastal Carolina. Last chance for the Cougars. Mel the catch, wrestled down on the two. Coastal wins it. Yeah, shades of like the St. Louis Rams versus maybe like the Tennessee Titans back in the Super Bowl with a a catch at the one to two yard line, tackled just short. Zach Wilson completes the pass, but could not finish the game in the end zone to give Coastal Carolina a home victory, 22 to 17 against the BYU Cougars. Again, as we mentioned earlier in the show, this game was organized on Thursday, Um, so almost zero tape i assume coaches would have stayed up late getting themselves organized but they really couldn't have put too much new stuff in for this game um so a really really good effort by coastal carolina i byu is the better team and i come away from this game thinking that that is still the case they had a 91 yard touchdown call back on a holding penalty on the first play, their first offensive play from scrimmage, and I thought BYU are just going to trash these guys as they've done all year, averaging 40-something points and 600 yards of offense. Um, But Zach Wilson really struggled to get into a rhythm. Not that he played poorly. I think it was just the the game play and the game structure for Coastal Carolina. Grayson McCall combined with CJ Marable, and they just ran effectively a triple option offense from the spread a lot of running game you know drives that were taking up seven eight minutes and really keeping zach wilson off of the field he just didn't get the uh, the amount of possessions that he normally would in a game and as a result coastal carolina come away with a really impressive almost old school feeling victory 
definitely. This was a physical affair, and it was really good fun from from the moment it kicked off. Like both teams taking this game on short notice, coming in, and and it had a real like good versus evil vibe about it. Like they'd made up the shirts of the was it Mormons versus Mormons, yeah, mullets versus Mormons, which is wait, who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? Well, I feel like the good guys. Yeah, the Mormons are the good guys in this one because they're wearing the white. South Park would agree with you, so that's good. Yeah, 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 and then the all black you need. Chanticleers are certainly the bad guys because they brought the attitude too. Like they they were there and having fun and it, like it, it was gr- it was great. I'm not saying that they're they're you know a bad team. I was just it 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 was a real clash out of nowhere. Like these two teams mm. are not rivals. They are not but anywhere it, near it, each other. It, Probably it, never played before. It had a f- rivalry feel about it. Like this is how rivalries start, and it, and it sort of seems like I know they've got um, the athletic directors have sort of said there's going to be a home and home coming back uh, the other way. And this could be the start of something really nasty and something really nice, which is exactly what you want. Some, you, What's wrong with new rivalries? Why can't you do something like this? And especially BYU being independent, imagine if Coastal Carolina scheduled them every year. Uh, like that is something from polar opposite existences <laughs> in geographically different regions of the country. I just think that is that is that is a really good option moving forward, and and this is what we want. Um, I you know Coastal Carolina have got some guys on that defensive front that just chewed up space really really quick, really strong, and and kept BYU off balance because they couldn't get to that running game as effectively as they may have. Um, and you know I was I was really impressed overall by by the game plan and the strategy they came in and Grayson McCall has just got such a good command of these strange uh, game situations I suppose where he's got to run funny um, speed options but there's a lot of like ball handling that happens early or footwork that he's got to get right and for such a young guy to come in and do stuff like that you know he he does such a good job manipulating defenses making good decisions and i was really really impressed and i continue to be impressed with him as an individual um i was i, I thought algier was good for byu and i wish he'd got more of the ball because i think if he could control that line of scrimmage then you felt like byu were going to run away with the game it just it, could, it just could never really happen because BYU felt like that the clock was against them all the time and you know they're one play away they're one yard away they came up so so short but in the end the number 13 team in the country goes down and this means that again the justification for these non-power five teams becomes really difficult yeah, absolutely. Uh, in order to kind of make a splash, one of these teams, and, and it's probably only ever going to be BYU, given that they were already high, highly ranked and had uh, a bit more credibility, I suppose, about the program going in. Like They needed to come in and win 50 nothing and just be like, actually, no, we are legit and we played a good team. But it wasn't the case. I mean, Coastal Carolina are a very good team and, and they executed their game plan i think it from the first drive that they had where they Mm. chewed up 10 minutes of the first quarter with a drive that ended in a touchdown that's an incredible amount of game time on on one little drive that they put together there and and that's kind of set the tone for what they were doing they ran the ball across the day i mean grayson mccall you talked about how good he was 
he only passed for 85 yards on the day. Like it was very much getting that work done on the ground. And that was the big question mark going in. Were they going to be able to stand up against a very physical and big BYU defensive line? They've got some solid boys up there. They've Mm. been giving up less than 100 yards uh, on the ground per year. So not many thought that they'd be able to do what they did and and go for nearly 300 yards on the ground in total. That that was the difference for them there. As you mentioned on the BYU side, um, Algier at BYU running the ball was impressive. It was super impressive. He had a couple ones where he really got out. He did have a fumble that I felt was a critical one that really cost them. Uh, at one point in there and that it's those sorts of things in these tight matchups that tend to be the difference it was, it was a great matchup like a, a classic I loved it I enjoyed every minute of it this morning so it, yeah I mean t- I, I, the other thing I will say is Coastal Carolina aren't really designed to play from behind though I, mm. I feel like if, if BYU got out early and got a 14 nothing lead I think this thing probably would have blown out the other way um, but just being out of control of the clock and control the ball was really impressive for the shunts and, and they stay undefeated. Mm. And Al, I mean, they did a good job of containing Zach Wilson. He still walks away with a respectable day. The one pick that he did have was a Hail Mary going into the half. So you, you don't really kind of knock him for that. He w- he ended up going 240 in the air and, and 50 on the ground. And some of the passes he makes, like they're, they're legit NFL throws. He, he's got a bright future about him he, he hums it around so he, he's an interesting one to watch if you like your football on Sundays as well yeah I'm, I, I'm a big believer I'm a Zach Wilson believer alright let's move on because we do have a lot of games to get to and let's get to a Big Ten game which was a little bit uninspiring in the end really but certainly surprising bad snap it rolled on the ground Mertz to the end zone Yeah, I mean, there was some colourful commentary there by some of the players, but uh, Graham Mertz tries to find Shamiro DK in the back of the end zone on a corner route, which he probably needed to fight back harder for. It was a fourth and ten, and, well, where does that leave us? Indiana win 14-6. Wisconsin, to me, suck. Like, their offense is really broken. Graham Mertz is inconsistent at times. He's indecisive. The running game has been disappointing and I just have got no confidence in them to make a play at all. And I lived through this as a Miami fan through the Dan Enos stuff last year with Jaron Williams and certainly in years before that. But when they dropped back to pass on third and three plus, you, you, I've got no confidence that they're going to complete that pass and, and keep the drive alive. It's just got a similar feel for me with Wisconsin there's something that is just not sitting quite right. Does that mean they're completely gutted? No, because I trust Paul Chris, but I do not trust them this year. And I, I've been really, really disappointed with what I expected to be a, a good enough Wisconsin team. And they were just really, really, really mediocre. And it shows how important a signature key running back Jonathan Taylor was last year because their offense just looks totally different, totally stagnant, totally boring and stuck in the mud without him. Yeah, okay. I mean, we're talking about most impressive efforts this weekend and this game is in this spot purely for Indiana's defense. Like it was... Well done, Will. Way to flip that. 
Fantastic. Well, I, I think you, you're kind of talking the, the shit side of Wisconsin here, but what we need to recognize is how good that Indiana defense was. And both you and I and most of the world coming into this game thought, uh, you know, Indiana aren't going to be able to score more than two times with a, mm-hmm. a, a quarterback who's played thrown the ball 16 times in his career and, and not looked great in doing so and a running game that averages less than 100 yards a game like it, it, there wasn't much op- room for optimism there Michael Penix had been that uh, engine room what we didn't think was well two scores would be enough and then that would be fine and, and they really showed out and did that they were excellent on that side of the ball in this one so you, you, you say that and it's funny because you've just bigged up the indiana defense and i've just trashed the wisconsin offense for not being particularly good but when you look at the numbers running the ball four yards a clip now that's not certainly prolific by any means but it's enough to get a first down if you run it three times in a row they completed 50 percent of their third down tries eight of 16 and you know, they got 342 total yards. Now, that's not excessive by any means, but it's certainly not completely poor. And on top of that, they're outgained in time of possession by over 10 minutes. So, again, on, on both sides of those things, Indiana's defense wasn't certainly dominant and Wisconsin, Wisconsin offense wasn't that bad according to the numbers, but it felt that way when you were watching the game. Yeah, um, and any time you can keep a team out of the end zone in a game is incredible. Like regardless, and I, it's a bit that bend don't break. If you've got that combined with a tendency to generate turnovers like this defense does, then you're going to have good results. So they they've done really well there. They they did get the pick. They got another uh, forced fumble that they recovered as well. Um, and I mean Jack Tuttle did what was asked of him, I suppose. Like he wasn't anything to write home about but he was relatively clean uh, managed to control the offense get them in for a couple of scores and take the win here so indiana continue to roll on they'll look like they're moving ahead to the big 10 championship both you and i were talking off air about this one not quite sure how it all shakes out in the big 10 here with yeah i mean that's the only one we that's the only one we don't know about so acc's decided big 12's decided sec's decided Pac-12 is a mess and we'll get to them later and they just don't have the the numbers really to really know fully yet what's going to happen in terms of their playoff and championship game situation. But the Big Ten is a weird one because Ohio State need to hit a, a bare minimum of of games and at this stage they are one forfeit away from... Uh, having their big twelve uh, so their big ten championship game cancelled, although you believe that there's something different, something came out in the news um, saying that the Big Ten will allow them in regardless. Yeah, I had I had read an article where they were they were talking about perhaps changing the structure of things so that they perhaps didn't necessarily need to play the full six games to qualify if they were five games and undefeated there that Ohio State might still get in. And I think this is just them pushing to try and get some representation in the national championship or the, the playoff at least um, for a shot at that. Cricket update? Uh, so we got Virat Kohli out, which is always good. Uh, the Aussies are, are looking in control, but with these T20s, you don't know what's going to go. So I'll, I'll keep you updated. I'll try and get a score. All right, uh, let's get to our chaos games this week. Missouri beating Arkansas 52-48. You'd think I'd have a clip for this, but I don't. This was a really entertaining 
entertaining game. These two teams are both really fun. As dour and as kind of disappointing this Wisconsin-Indiana game was, or certainly lots of other games uh, in various aspects of college football. Both of these two teams, and we spoke about it in the pregame, feel like they're having good fun and they're moving in the right direction. And hope and positivity, which has been hard to come by for both of these two ball clubs over the last few years, brings people a long way. Uh, They're entertaining. They're creative on offense. Strange formations, gadget plays. Uh, Larry Roundtree scored on a... uh, I don't even know what it was. It would have been like an off-tackle but they had two backs offset next to each other, both with their hand in the on the ground, which you just don't see. It was like a 1950s style um, offensive formation. And I just love seeing stuff like that. I think it was really creative. They scored a touchdown on it. Um, so that was fantastic. Felipe Franks didn't play in the game. KJ Jefferson got the start for the Razorbacks, and he was really good. Arkansas were up by 10 points in the final quarter. But on the back of some of your boy, Connor Bezalak's deep shot, some ground game, uh, as the as we mentioned, Larry Roundtree, Missouri put up 250-odd yards and scored 24 points in the last quarter to come home with the win. And despite KJ Jefferson leading the Razorbacks down the field and completing a two-point conversion with a little bit of luck, went straight through a defender's hands, uh, Connor Bezalak marched Missouri offense down the field under a minute and... Harrison Melvis uh, goes five for five and hits a 32-yard game winner at the gun. Lots of fun. These are two teams you want to keep an eye on next year as we see continued improvement. Absolutely. And it's, it's really cool to see these two programs building and, and to see this positivity here. There's another one in the SEC that there's like 1,200 yards of total offense, no turnovers, no defense, yeah. and, and just good old-fashioned like shootout football that you you tend to see in the Big 12 a bit. So I, I like this stuff. Uh, I, I thought it was brilliant. Uh, and especially Missouri's uh, ability to fight back in this one. I mean, they were down 40 to 26. Um, and that, like that's a big hole to, to turn around in, uh, especially when you're a program that hasn't perhaps been so prof- like prolific and, and scoring as many points as they have. They really had to kind of turn it on in the last. And that they did so full credit to them and and as you mentioned like it's just super positive at this time of the year it's been a a strange year on many fronts but both of these like fan bases i think can be quite charged going into the the off season knowing that they're heading in the right direction it looks like the head coaching uh guys that they've got in place there are building something and and they're moving in in a positive direction so yeah, like you'd be you'd be absolutely thrilled with that. Connor Bay's like as you mentioned, as a, as a freshman, certainly looks like he has everything ahead of him, and he could turn Missouri into perhaps a challenger in the East. There, how many uh, like moral victory losses can you have though? If you're Arkansas, like Sam Pittman continues to put his team and get his team in winning positions. Uh, as do the quarterbacks and, and all their, that entire stuff. But they keep coming up short. And don't get me wrong, like you'd much prefer that to their, what, like Ofer in the SEC over the last two years. Yep. But at what stage does that kind of run short? But more with the playing group and the fans. Like as a fan, you feel like I will live through this as a first-year coaching experience with Sam Pittman, Felipe Franks, who was a mere quarterback at Florida. I will live through this. But at what point do you go... 
as a player, this is becoming tiresome. I think it, it's all dependent on where you're coming from like uh, and all, all of that sort of stuff. So as you mentioned for Arkansas, that they were right at the bottom of the SEC and doing it tough. So you've got a year here where you just want to be competing. You want to be in matches and getting a few more than perhaps you are, but the positive signs are certainly good enough for this year. You don't want that to continue on to next year. You need to start winning some of the games. Uh, Both you and I know college football can be such a cruel sport in that one loss can derail your season and two losses can have you done. And then after that, it doesn't like a lot of it doesn't really matter. You want to beat your rival, yeah. You want you want that kind of bragging rights against the people in the workplace and all of that sort of stuff. Outside of that, it's kind of like yeah, I'm looking forward to next year anyways because we want to have our run at the championship. So it, it, a lot of that needs to be factored in. I think this year is just around moving forward in a, a positive direction. So they they can be they. They'll get a pass this year, absolutely. I think they're on the upswing. But next year, you're going to need to start to, as you mentioned, get a few of these because you don't want an, a close win uh, to, or, sorry, a, a close loss to be a good result for more than a year. Mm. All right, let's get into the Pac-12 for the first time on this particular recap show. Cow 21 beat Oregon 17. A scoreless second half of the Ducks caps a really poor two-week stretch for Oregon. Nine penalties in this game, two costly turnovers, both in the last quarter. Tyler Shook fumbled with just over eight minutes to go, and then Johnny Johnson, the third, put it on the carpet to end the game with Oregon moving into scoring position. It just feels like one of these years for Oregon. It's just not going to happen, and that doesn't... We're so used to seeing teams like Alabama, uh, Clemson just continually churn out this machine of success. But for teams like Oregon, which are the step below, or teams like LSU, you do have these years where things just aren't quite working for you. And a, and a classic quote um, from Keanu Reeves in The Replacements, where he's like, it feels like you're in quicksand and the harder you you push the more the mistakes seem to come and that's sort of what it feels like for Oregon at this point there was a bit of pressure on them they had to do everything so spectacularly it's not easy to win college football games and I think that gets lost sometimes particularly for you know Australians especially but going undefeated in the same way that it never happens in the NRL and never happens in the AFL either, teams just don't just run the table. It doesn't happen that much that easily. So these kind of situations like this with Oregon and the fact that they're struggling a fraction on on offense and you know they've lost a whole heap of players, but the tackling on the back end and the the miss the misplays and the the poor coverage and the communication errors. And the injuries, like it's all adding up to the point where Oregon just aren't that good. They're not having the success and it's just not happening for them this year. And that's actually okay. I actually sort of feel for Oregon this year more than kind of want to rag on them. Chase Garber's had his best game for Cow. He didn't set the world on fire um, as the Bears only managed 271 yards of total offense. But the story in this one is Oregon go down again. All right, update in the cricket, mate. Uh, India needed 14 off the last over. Uh, mm-hmm. The first ball was knocked for two, so 12 or five. They've just put the next ball over the fence. So, Game uh, over at this point. Game over at this point. Yes, yeah, six and four now. It's 
not looking great for our boys there. But going on to this one, you, you, you're dead right. I mean, winning is not easy at the college football level. And, and that's why what you see from these programs, Clemson, Alabama at the moment, Ohio State is so darn impressive. Like, yes, they are a bit of a machine with the recruits that they get coming through, but it's just so hard to continually do and to, to manage your schedule the way that they have. So for Oregon, I think last week's... Um, upset in that rivalry matchup was one of those ones that I feel like could have gone either way. They could have taken that and bounced back. And that's probably what I was expecting to see like a reinvigorated, we're going to come out, we're going to, you know, clean up the rest of our schedule and still go here. Or the the flip side, there's always the risk that you kind of go in your shell a bit. You're, you're a bit disappointed with that. You're dejected. You're kind of like, well, our season's done. What are we, like, we were expecting to maybe sneak into a national championship. Now that's off the table. This is all a bit of a joke, rah, rah, rah. and it seems to be that because Cow had not looked very good this year. Uh, India have just put the ball over the fence and won the game again. So <laughs> that's disappointing. Um, but yeah, uh, Cow's ability to get up in this one, they'll be thrilled with because they needed to. Like both you and I, uh, myself in particular, were, were quite bullish on them coming into the year. I, I thought that You're they were going to be a... a sneaky closet Cow Bears fan as well. I think so. I like the navy uh, yellow combo too. I think I look good in it. So... <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, if there's any as cow... you're wearing an SC top at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that's true. <laughs> um, but I, I was big on them in this year. I, I thought that with uh, Grabers at quarterback that they would were going to be set there and that they could potentially make a bit of noise. Their defense has been really, really strong the last couple of years, one of the better outfits in all of the Pac-12. And then this year they've just been bad. They've been really bad in their first three games that they played. So for them to turn it around and get the win in this one, they'll be thrilled with it. It kind of gives them a bit of uh, excitement to move forward. Um into the rest of this year and, and then next year. But it's just, it's just so like playing six games, they've got two to go and it's just real odd, real odd. All right, let's continue on in our chaos games. Let's talk Oklahoma State and TCU. Your Cowboys fall to the Horn Frogs 29 to 22. I mean, it's, it's happened again. Like... Oklahoma State might be the most frustrating team in the conference and possibly the country to watch. You're so much more talented than TCU, who time and time again, week in, week out, can't move the ball offensively. They turn the ball over five times in this particular game, and Oklahoma State still managed to lose. This high-powered offense is grounded at the moment, and I, I don't know how you're managing because I would be super, super frustrated. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's Spencer Sanders. I don't know if it's Mike Gundy. I don't know if it's the whole thing that happened in the offseason, Tylen Wallace, Tuba Hubbard. Like, what is it that's going on here with this ball club that out-talents TCU probably? I know TCU recruits quite well in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and is certainly a, a, a good school in that space. Don't get me wrong, but... This was Oklahoma State's year, and they are Oregoning it up right now. Yeah, oh, look, it's been super disappointing. You, you don't have to tell me. So it's uh, yeah. an incredibly frustrating year. And 
I think the the big thing that you might not see that obviously impacts every program across the year, but there's been a lot of key injuries that have really derailed this program. And when you're a team like Oklahoma State who doesn't have the depth to cover it like some other programs will with the experience coming through, they've really struggled with that. I know the offensive line has really struggled. They, they were all already going to be a fresh unit coming into the year that was the big question mark and then on top of that they've had a number of injuries there that they've just never been set and and that's caused chaos for them offensively and both you and I have played enough football and watched enough football to know if you can't get your offensive line set and if your quarterback's always under pressure almost immediately you struggle to score points you struggle to get anything going and that's been the story of the year for Oklahoma State that offensive line and it's tough to pour it all on them because they're an inexperienced group and you know it's, it's only one part of the team but as a fan watching it, you can see that they're just getting absolutely destroyed everywhere across there and it, and it's making things incredibly difficult for a team that's so used to putting up big points and not being able to do that, not being able to move the ball at all, just consistent three and outs and just looking really ugly. How much of that do you then put on the coaching staff in not making changes, doing doing something to string the string the play out a little bit, get your quick pass game out to your, your screens, to your receivers, whatever it is, I don't know. It appears like Tylan Wallace is the only player who can catch a ball for that program right, at the he, moment. He was injured or like he was on the sidelines a lot during the big key drives, big key moments in this game. Uh, yeah, I, don't know if he, I mean, right he, he's been struggling with uh, injuries. Obviously, Chuba Hubbard's been, and he was out again in this one and has been... It's okay, you had your best running back in the game then. Uh, Des Jackson. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But and the that, other thing that kind of got at me was the defense didn't kind of harden up here a little bit. TCU, to close out the game, just kind of ran for first down after first down. And, you know, those those third and short plays or fourth and short plays where you've got to make your money and that's where games are won and lost. Oklahoma State got pushed off the ball and bullied off the ball and, and that's the difference. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's tough to put it on a defense when they got five turnovers and scored six points. Uh, you know, like if, if you can't ask for much more on your defense <laughs> yeah, there. That, that, they also did yeah. lose a couple of the starting uh, 11, including Radarius Williams, who's been one of the better cornerbacks that I've seen at Oklahoma State uh, as long as I've been following them. Uh, in the first half, so that really hurt them too. Uh, moving on, so I don't know. We don't need to labour it. It's, it's disappointing year for them. Disappointing as a, as a fan for that program. Good, good for TCU to get the win. I don't know if you look at the stats in that one, how you walk away with a win just is kind of quite shocking. But not the only game this weekend to suffer from that when you mm. look at numbers. All right, let's move on because of the implications. So these games are related directly to national championship contention or conference. Relevancy, Texas A&M 31, Auburn 20, a solid but unspectacular win by Texas A&M in this one. A 21-day layoff was always looming as dangerous for the Aggies, but they kind of played the way you would want them to. So a, a pretty solid defense. They ran the ball really well, dominated the offensive line, had 313 yards on the ground. Jalen Wiedemeyer had a cracker, eight receptions, over 100 yards, um, and a couple of touchdowns in the first half for the Aggies. Auburn never really felt in it. I know they led for periods of this game, but you just felt like Kellen Mond was going to 
saunter his way through and they were going to do it by about 11 points and, and that's exactly what happened. I still don't have a lot of belief in this Texas A&M team. I don't believe they're the number five team in the country, um, but that's probably more an indictment of Auburn than anything. Yeah, okay. I kind of tend to disagree with you on this one. I, I felt like Auburn were the better team for three quarters. They, they were up 20 to 14 going into the last in this one and probably could have been more like Bo Nix was doing what Bo Nix does in the, so should have been leading by more but wasn't yep sounds like Auburn yeah yeah and, but like that's it's a team that you can't say wasn't really in the game I mean he, Bo Nix missed a couple of opportunities that could have put them further out in front and then they gave up like a really critical third and 11 that was immediately followed by a touchdown to start the last and that was where the wheels kind of completely fell off for them um, and A&M took control from there. You're right that like this one didn't do me any confidence for that A&M team. I know we've, we've kind of flip-flopped all uh, about this team all year. The preseason, I was all about them. They were kind of my smoky on the season. Then they got routed by Alabama, and I was kind of like slowly backing off of them, and then they've been really good outside of that, and I'm jumping back on the bandwagon, and then you get a performance like this, and you go, yeah, look, they did what they needed to do, but... Like, do they do they realistically feel uh, like a team that could stand up to Clemson, Notre Dame, Ohio State? Not on the back of this effort. So, well, they could get in over Clemson or Notre Dame. That's the thing. Like, correct, they're the next, absolutely. They're, they're in the, the box next seat team to in. do that. Yeah, which is, I don't know, and and I don't. To me, this game is just a reflection of how I feel about Kellen Mond. This was a typical Kellen Mond game that he. He's okay in the passing game at times, but he probably should have been picked off multiple times. Like one of the Wiedemeyer touchdowns went straight through a defender's hands and he actually had his hands on his helmet going, oh, shit, I've thrown a pick in the red zone. But he got away with it and and they win. And I just continue to be uninspired by Texas A&M. Watch out, they'll come out. Who have they got next week? Because they're going to come out and beat them by like 3 million points. <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, God. This is this is embarrassing. All right, uh, quick one here in terms of implications. Rice twenty. Now we never talk Rice hours football. Why would we? But they beat the number twenty one team in the country, Marshall, who was shut out in this one. Uh, Rice had less yards, less first downs, but they picked off Grant Wells five times. You can do that against Oklahoma State. You can do it in NCAA football, but in real life, it is just not a good strategy for victory. No, I mean I don't. Grant Wells had thrown three picks on the year or something. Like he'd been one of the better twenty touchdowns to three picks or something. His ratio on the year, and then he decided Friday night he's going to go out, meet some nice girls, have, a, it. have a few do. drinks, really get after it, and then just what are you doing, brother? Like this was. Just not quite right. Glitch, glitch in the matrix. Quicksand. So Marshall go down. Yeah. This is a big hit for your championship draft outfit. Oh, That's mate, immediately uh, that I'm is thinking. not the Oklahoma State and that one. Like I'm taking hits all over the place. I think you took a shot somewhere. Uh, uh, yeah, I had Oregon. I bought in Oregon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they're going to drop out. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, let's get into study the playbook. These are for teams and games that went as predicted. And not only that, but they did it the way that we expected them to. So let's start with Florida 31, Tennessee 19. Kyle Trask gets off to a slow start before throwing for over 400 yards, four touchdowns. The usual types got involved in that one. Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Toney, Trayvon Grimes. Um, Copeland got involved for a touchdown as well. So they look really, really good. Um, Harrison Bailey got the start for a depleted Tennessee team. Threw a touchdown pass early to the running back. Uh, but then Florida stretched their lead 31-7, and then it was clean-up time. Uh, Tennessee cut poured on a couple late, but it was irrelevant at that point. Not much to take away from this one, but can Florida beat Alabama in the SEC championship game? Oh, look, I wouldn't I wouldn't back them in this one, but they are, they are a team that has a punching chance against them just with the power of that offense. Kyle Trask is currently leading the Heisman, I think, he is out yeah. in front. People are trying to catch him. What we have not seen yet, though, is that Heisman moment. He's got to have that. Could it be the SEC championship game? Well, it has to be. If Mac Jones trashes him in that, it's game over. Yep. Uh, speaking of Mac Jones, let's get to Alabama 55, LSU 17. Mac Jones, as we mentioned, excellent again, 385 and four TDs. But to me, it was Najee Harris that actually broke this game open early. Two first quarter touchdowns. Devonta Smith took the top off that depleted secondary time and time again. And, and that is the recipe. That is the playbook against this team. Scoring on touchdowns of 65 and 61 yards. He racked up 231 receiving yards in total. Run your vertical routes against LSU. Run them early. Run them often. Get your best wide receiver. Stare him down if you have to and give him a chance because there will be success against LSU if you do that. That's exactly what Alabama did. Um, there are a whole heap of records broken in this one regarding like the last time a defending national champion gave up 55 points. Like it just hasn't, it just didn't happen. Um, but this is a young and inexperienced LSU team. They showed signs at times, just carry the ball all the way into the end zone would be a tip to all budding wide receivers out there. But they've got a long, long way to go and they don't even look in the top half of the SEC at this stage. Yeah, hell of a hangover season for LSU, which I can appreciate. Like Louisiana's a party town. Um, Alabama just put the... Cue in the rack halfway through this one, though. That's how good they are moving at the moment. When they're on, they are 21 points a quarter, and it's just it doesn't matter who they're playing. It's it's everyone. So they are an absolute force to be reckoned with to continue to roll on. Okay, let's get to the other games. Let's get through these quick. In the ACC, Notre Dame start pretty slowly, but cruise away from Syracuse 45-21. to 21. They stay undefeated in doing so. Clemson, likewise, start slowly against Virginia Tech. Um, but it makes little difference as they win easily 45 to 10. Miami trashed a really bad Duke team 48 to 0, but I kind of enjoyed it. Um, the line there was 17 points, so they kind of blew that one out of the water. Virginia get past Boston College 43 to 32. BC were rolling with a backup quarterback, but he still managed 520 yards and four TDs. <laughs> For your first time in college football, that's not a bad crack at it. NC State beat Georgia Tech 23-13. Anything on the ACC? No, I, th I think your boys, you'd be happy with that. Both you and I have had a very different weekend watching our respective teams. Yeah, I feel good. We got uh, North Carolina next weekend who beat a 
FCS team this week. So that's going to be an interesting one. That is in Coral Gables. So the first time the Canes have been back there for months and months, it feels like. In the Big 12, Kansas, uh, no, not Kansas, Texas, 69, smack Kansas State, 31. Bijan Robinson, Roshan Johnson went off for a combined 311 yards and six TDs. This was a very un-K-State type game uh, as they gave up the most rushing touchdowns in school history. Tom Herman silenced his doubters for another week, but K-State are on a five-game slide after starting 4-1. and one. If Oklahoma are the hottest team in college football, Kansas State may be the stone ice cold coldest because they are bad right now. Certainly not looking good there in Manhattan. Uh, Iowa State look ready for the championship game as they waste West Virginia 42-6. to I got that one really wrong. I thought West Virginia might make that a bit of a game, but Brock Purdy and Brees Hall were not interested in letting West Virginia hang around. Yeah, absolutely. I honestly felt like Iowa State were just another team in the Big 12, like a good team in the Big 12, but kind of stacking up in that upper rung. On the back of this game, they've really shown that they are a deserved top team. Like They're the team that needs to be going to the Big 12 championship and representing against Oklahoma, and there's no question marks about it. Speaking of Oklahoma, a 27-14 win over Baylor. Some signs of the Oklahoma from the start, uh, the start of the season earlier in the year that we saw a little bit lethargic on offense, struggling to hit the big play, just not really clicking uh, in that offense that we normally expect from Lincoln Riley. Uh, your thoughts on the Bears or was it just some really good defense on their part? Look, you know Dave Aranda's going to scheme up some stuff to hopefully slow them down and it seemed to work for them. It's a it's a strange one for me. I, I was fully expecting Oklahoma to come in and just lay waste to Baylor with how they've been travelling. So that that is an interesting result to maybe pour pour a bit of cool water about that team because I know both you and I were super hot on them and their prospects moving forward with just what we'd seen over the last month. And lastly, in the Big Twelve, Texas Tech beat Kansas sixteen thirteen in the Pac twelve. That was close Stan- though. Kansas yeah, were up like who, in the last. Who cares? Because well, Kansas normally get flogged by everyone. Exactly right. Okay, yeah. but that's not the case. Pac-12, Stanford 31, hold off a fast fi- finishing Washington 26. Austin Jones got the Cardinal off to a cracking start and a 24-3 halftime lead. He finished with 138 yards and two TDs. I actually watched this game in a little bit more detail than some of the others. But Washington were just getting bullied up front, which we're just not used to seeing from a Washington defense. Dylan Morris, the QB at Washington, was actually okay, but the game just got out of hand early, and it just felt like Stanford were in complete control. Uh, they would, they weren't really doing anything wrong or right. It wasn't like they were throwing heaps of picks or fumbling or whatever, turning the ball over. It was just that Stanford came ready to play, ready to run the ball, a lot of power football, and Washington did not hold up at all well. To me, the most impressive aspect of this one was the 7-minute 45, sorry, 54-second drive. Apparently, I'm dismixing now. Um, Davis Mills completed third and longs. He completed a third and 10, a third and 11, and a fourth and one as well to ice the game. That is how you want to kill off a game. If you can have an eight-minute drive to in the last quarter to just seal the victory, that is the way to do it. Washington had a touchdown call back on a holding penalty on the drive before 
that that closing one, they obviously didn't get the ball back. Last thing I will mention, Trent McDuffie, uh, sophomore cornerback. He is a fantastic one. Another turnover in this one today. He's going to be a first-round cornerback in 2022, I reckon, so one at, to keep an eye on. At Stanford? At Washington. At Washington, okay. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, look, d- here's a tip. Don't go spotting your team a 21-point head start. <laughs> yeah. Like Washington playing with fire with that shit and it, it's going to end poorly for you, especially against a team like Stanford who is designed to run the ball and create these eight-minute drives. Like That's what they want to do. That's David Shaw's MO. That He'd love to mm. see that from his football program. So his eyes would have lit up. They executed that to a T in the last there and got away from a win. So it's good to see this Cardinal program turning things around and looking to get back on track in uh, the Pac-12. Well, they don't normally have back-to-back bad seasons. No, they've been good for a long time. This was on the cards, though. Colorado. How about them buffs? Remain undefeated against Arizona, 24-13. Not exactly super inspiring, but Jarek Broussard went for over 300 yards on the ground for Colorado. Like another massive game for him. He Didn't score a touchdown, though, which is impressive. I always enjoy seeing dudes like... Yeah, you've run the length of the field three whole times, but you didn't get in the end He's zone. doing suicides. <laughs> um, but they overcome a 13-point deficit uh, against Arizona and then close strong in that one. So let's get around the buffs. Definitely. Utah 30 get their first win over Oregon State 24 and UCLA inch past Arizona State 25 to 18. Any thoughts on those two games? William, I know you, you're a big, big UCLA fan, so... I, I am, but I did need to get a little sleep this afternoon. Got in a what, late what did last you do night last again. night? I haven't actually spoken to you too much. Just, I was checking out the Glenelg area here in Adelaide. It's quite nice. Uh, weather was shit out, but there's uh, plenty of things happening this time of year. So, and so what time were you checking out the Glenelg yeah, area? What time, what time does it close? <laughs> <laughs> good. The football was on when I got home, so that was good. Oh, man, I'm so old now. You're still killing it, mate. I feel like I just go to bed too early. and I wish I did. I don't, I don't know how you're holding up. I mean, I didn't hear from you when I, when I didn't get any messages today. I was like, oh, I, reckon, I reckon he's had another crack. So, well done, you. And yeah, it's a busy time of year. You've got you to gotta really kind of push the envelope at this point and then. So, work show? Uh, no, this was just Saturday. <laughs> yeah, good. All right, in the Big Ten, Iowa keep on trucking against Illinois, 35-21. to 21. Nebraska beat Purdue, 37-27. to 27. And Penn State, 23, beat Rutgers, 7 for the 14th consecutive time. But those games are effectively irrelevant. Excellent. You know, like, when you go out in town now, do you, like, you, can, you know that you could be the father of some of these people that are kicking around in town right now? Uh, look, I try not to think that way when I'm there, to be honest. I don't, I don't hold it as a criticism because there's, there's still probably some people out that could be our parents as well, like, which is horrifying. But yeah. uh, are you ever past it? Well, there's certainly a time that I'm past it. I think I'm in that time. But, <laughs> you know, if I'm down the pub on a Saturday watching the GGs go around and then that rolls out to dinner down the bay and then that takes us to... Oh, you did mention this. You actually invited me, didn't you? I forgot about it. I that. did, yes. You just decided not to show. Oh, oh, damn it. I was at a pool hall for a long time. I hadn't been to a Ooh, pool see hall that. for a while. Smoking cigars and... Getting I just him, assume you can still smoke cigars. Getting him like dust-ups over... 
games of pool played for drinks. I'm like, seriously, you, dude, are you going to fucking fight us for this? Yeah. Like, for a round I, I can of drinks? imagine you doing the old like pool cue down by the cushion to bring the white ball out a little bit, and then <laughs> that's a no, bike I'm definitely that. That sort of operator, yeah, 100%. <laughs> and then a bikey just cracks you over the back. Just really. to try and get the reaction, yeah. <laughs> Not because I like, care, I couldn't care less. I just like doing that stuff to see if I can get a rise from the person I'm playing against. All right. Uh, other games in the Big Ten, have I missed any? Yes, I have. Ohio State beat Michigan State 52-12. to And who really gives a shit? Uh, Ohio State people probably do, but in terms of... This, in terms of relevance in Big Ten, it doesn't have much. In the SEC, we've spoken about most of them already. The only one we've missed at this stage, I think, is Kentucky, South Carolina, for which the Wildcats got up 41-18. to Any other games that you would like to get to before we move on? Last one I want to touch was the Friday night, Saturday here in Australia, uh, Louisiana App State game. So I did pump that up in the lead-up too, saying it would be a good game, and it was. It really delivered. Uh, Louisiana got out to a nice, healthy lead, uh, and App State made a last-minute, uh, last-ditch effort, should I say, to, to come back, but weren't able to complete the comeback. So Louisiana go on, and now we'll head into the Sunbelt uh, Championship game against Coastal Carolina, I believe. Well, there you go. All right, let's get to our Week 14 Rewind. <laughs> Uh, what do you got for us this week? We'll kick us so, off. So mine is a bit of a highlights package. You'll be able to find it. Devonta Smith, first half highlights in this one. So I, I talk mm. about them putting it in the queue. He he went for over like something like 216 yards in the first half with three touchdowns. And one of them is just like, it's, it's showing off his athleticism. Ball's high, back in the end zone. He's leaping up one-handed, plucking yeah, it, pulling it down. I'm like, this that. dude's different. So take a look at those. He's a weapon. I, I've always been a bit cool on Devonta Smith, to be honest. I don't know why. I've, I've never been a guy like, this guy's going to be a, a superstar at the next level. The more I watch of him, the more impressed I am. He is, he is an absolute weapon, and he could really turn into something on Sundays. I mean, he's not that big. I guess, like, when you're looking... When you're looking for a wide receiver, you want Calvin Johnson, you want Julio Jones, you want AJ Green, you want Mike Evans. To me, when you're looking at a, a first-round wide receiver, they're the dudes you want for your team. Now, they don't come along all that often, and all those guys are going to be Hall of Famers, so Mike you can Evans, get one of them. Mike Evans isn't going to the Hall of Fame. Mike Evans isn't going to the Hall of Fame? No way. You say no way, but his well, numbers are ridiculous. Okay, but he like he's a long way from that yet. I would say. Yeah, possibly has been a really good. Like, is Andre Johnson a Hall of Famer? I kind of think of them very similar. Okay. Playing small markets, like anyway. Um, yes, for me, well, Andre Johnson is a Hall of Famer. Is he? He's not well, in yet. If he's not in, he's he not should in be. He, but he, 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 but he might not be as well. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Spencer Sanders, you've got to go and watch him try and hurdle a defender in the last quarter of the Pokes game against TCU because he gets fully inverted and it's hilarious to watch. The other one I'll tell you to watch is another quarterback run, Bo Nix's touchdown after avoiding pretty much the entire Texas A&M defense. Uh, he manages to go backwards a long way and then goes forwards a long way and scores a touchdown. So that was a really, really impressive run. So if you get an opportunity... Go back and watch those two players because they're a little weird. 
Sweet. All right. All right. Aussies in action. Hit yeah. me. Uh, so you're not going to like this, but I, I did have a look and the boys were a bit down this week. I'm a, I'm a little bit disappointed. I, I like to normally look for guys who are punting. Averaging over 45 yards tends to be the line where I, I think you deserve a shout-out. And there was not a huge contribution in that area. I will say, however, our player of the week was Tom Snee at Oregon. So whilst his team is kind of packing it in by the looks of things, he was out there banging him. He had six punts at 48.2. So Tom Snee haven't pumped him up a lot here on this show before. Maybe this is the start of big First things. First year at Oregon? Uh, I believe he was there last year. Might have redshirted. I don't think he was starting. So one thing I do know after speaking to Chappie a little bit, he said first year is often a bit of a battle for punters. Second year is when they really start to shine. Uh, so we've seen it with Louis Headley at Miami. Uh, we you know, have, have seen it with a whole bunch of other guys who have come on uh, in their second year and third year. So they actually do, it sounds strange, but punters actually do take a little bit of time, <laughs> which sounds yeah, well, odd. But. It kind of makes sense. Like a lot of these guys have never seen a college football game before. So they do all their training with Pro Kick, obviously, but that's a big difference to that and then all of a sudden playing in front of 100,000 people. Yeah, and you've got two kicks and you've got to nail them. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I 100% agree. Um, but shit, bit of a shit cop out by you. Quickly, did you catch the tram home last night? I did not. The public transport is something that I've now left in the uh, rearview mirror, thankfully. And not so only that, a- like I've, we've got like group of mates who don't necessarily live next to each other. And we're at the point where we argue over who needs to get dropped off first to the point where we go, fuck it, I'm catching my own. So like we're close enough to be together but we refuse to have the other one dropped off first so we just get our own uber i like it i like it but i can't log into uber anymore which has been a real issue for me like it's like you've got an account i was like yeah but i can't log in so i call them and they're like yep we can see you don't you've got an account and you can't log into it i was like cool so can you unlock that account Mm. so i can Use your shitty service, and this like, this no. stinks a lot of my other mate who's oh my split functionality doesn't work whenever <laughs> I arrive with it. oh just send it to me but the split doesn't work I don't know I, I can't do it I can't I can't receive the split I'm like I can see the fucking notification on your screen sitting next to you mate just accept it right you're mate you're made of money so you can you can get it done for us uh, all right who let's knew get... pool halls were so expensive I didn't realize I was paying really? for the table I just thought my card was behind the bar and then when you're there for you pay for the table don't you just put in like two one dollar coins well that's what i thought but no you get a hundred dollar bill at the end of the night like thank you yeah in case you're tearing up the carpet that is a that is slightly sexual all right let's move on uh bold prediction time i i mean i'll give you the sound i think if i've got it here uh pepper needs new shorts Oh, but uh, yeah, I completely bombed. I was hoping that I was hoping more than wanting or believing that Iowa State would lose and something else would happen. No, Texas would lose to Kansas. Neither of those two things happened. And Oklahoma State would win, and that didn't happen either. So <laughs> Oklahoma State would win. So. Three. Yeah, uh, not good yeah, for you, sorry. mate. No, uh, like I did not hit either. So mine was again COVID affected, but uh, I had four games in the Pepper SEC. Needs new shorts. Oh would uh, have a 120-point 
difference. If So if I take the game out and we just say at an average of 30 points per game, I think that's probably fair to do. We got it with the Alabama-LSU game. If you take the Kentucky-South Carolina one, you're still on track at uh, 60 points there. But then Florida didn't really pummel Tennessee. Like It was a comfortable victory, but I think it was only 14 points in the end. So not enough for it to uh, get the job done for me. All right, let's get to on the punt time. Now, I have got a feeling about this one. I've, got, I've just got a feeling in my loins because you went against the grain. You went against what you intuitively thought, but this week was so chaotic that I'm not really sure, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back you in here. Yes, you are right. So Yay. who would have known? Going against Money. what I think is going to happen will... Uh, earn me a collect although this is a, a bit of a dangerous game to play because I, I collected on three of the four bets that I had uh, so obviously missed the multi and I was close in that one it was the Auburn uh, Texas A&M game so I had plus seven there and and I ended up winning by 11 Auburn were up at three quarter time so there's kind of there was a chance that, that one could come through if I had have had that plus the multi on all of that I'd be back in making money across the year like that's that's kind of how close I Just was. Just so quickly, your luck can change in Vegas. Correct. So that uh, hurt, but I had Louisiana to win over App State. I thought App State were going to win that, so happy to get that. I had Boston College putting in a better showing than they did against Virginia. Virginia trashed them, so I got the, the money there. And when I say <laughs> I had, because like this is obviously the opposite to what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, Kentucky, South Carolina. I didn't think South Carolina were all that bad. Apparently, they're awful. <laughs> so I made on that. But then, like, it's frustrating because I thought A&M would win comfortably. And then I'm like, well, I put my money on Auburn. And then when A&M win relatively comfortably in the end, you're kind of like, well, I knew that. <laughs> so there's, there's just no winning. But, hey, I made uh, 1.7 units. We're, oh, we're back that's... to 24 and a half. So, yeah, it's, it's not good when you have a winning week, but it's still all that. Like, I really need <laughs> one of these... Uh, and need things to all fall in place to turn this one around in the last yeah, couple of weeks. Like yeah, you need like a you need a big seven or eight unit win, nine unit, eleven well, like, unit. Honestly, I, it, it would have been twenty plus unit win had uh, Auburn got up on this one. Oh, screw you, A and M. All right, uh, that brings us to the end of our week fourteen recap. It's been long. We've talked a lot about Will's sojourn uh, through various southern suburbs of adelaide although if you're from that area don't they don't get called the southern suburbs because they don't like it because you know they're a bit lardy da anyway uh but that does bring us to the end thank you for joining us on behalf of that guy over there please make sure that you do hit us up on twitter instagram facebook at cfb down under make sure you subscribe to the show leave us a five-star review um tell all your friends about us We've had fun this year. I have actually had fun as much as I bitch and moan about it. It's been good. It's been enjoyable. And and we thank you as always for your support. So on behalf of that guy over there, my name's Aaron Kemp. That is Will. And we will see you next time.